Welcome and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Now let's join Pastor Ben Teefy for his message. Father, as we open your word today, we come conscious that everyone has a different thing going on in their own life. Everybody has a different scenario. And each one of us, Lord, are a unique person with our own challenges, our own gifts, our own strengths, our own weaknesses, our own light areas and our own dark areas, Father. But today we come together, Lord, on an equal playing field. We come and we sit under your word and we ask, would you come and speak to us, creator of the universe? Would you come and just breathe some life into our souls because we open your word today? Father, I pray not one person under the sound of my voice this morning would leave this place without having heard the voice of God speaking, not because of what I say, but because what your word says to us in Jesus' name. We open our hearts today. We say, come Lord, shape us, heal us, inspire us, show us from your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, it's Christmas coming up, and uh, what happens oftentimes at Christmas time is we spend, you know, a carol service, and we'll sing some carols, and we'll have a Christmas Day service where we'll do a quick retelling of the Christmas narrative, and there'll be a bit of tinsel, and there'll be some flashing lights, and some Christmas trees, and some presents, and, and one of the dangers in the modern world is that the Christmas narrative is drowned out as mere children's story sentimentality. And yet the Christmas narrative is one of the most earth-shattering stories ever to find its way into the storying of humankind. There are many great stories. There are stories of the founding of nations. There are biographies. There are stories of people having amazing lives. There are terrible stories of injustice and darkness, stories of wars, stories of famine, stories of deprivation. But uh, in the Christmas narrative, all the great human stories are brought together with God's story where God says, let me write and craft and live with you a story that will change your story itself. And the Christmas narrative flows into the bloodstream of all human stories, your personal story, my personal story, our corporate story as a town or a nation or a culture or the culture that you were born into. God's narrative The invasion of Christmas flows into it. And sometimes we just have to camp in that story and understand the significant ideas that God has for planet Earth. Beyond tinsel and Christmas presents and and beyond snowy scenes with shepherds and lights and all sorts of stuff. They're all good. But sometimes we've got to camp and understand what is it that God is saying to us. So this week and next Sunday, we're just having a two-part series called Christmas Unwrapped. Is there feedback coming through this microphone? Could, could we maybe check that out? Because that's annoying to me. The um, two-part series called Christmas Unwrapped, where we're just going to camp in the Christmas story together as a family and just say, God, what, what are you saying to planet Earth, to us, through this tale? Now, the Christmas narrative comes to us seated in a language world. It has words, it has images, it has pictures, it has statements, it has great and amazing things, but they come to us from a story world that has existed for thousands of years before Jesus was ever born. And the story world that the Christmas narrative is born out of, the history of Jesus, even before Jesus was born into the manger, stories were told of God's interaction and revelation with humans that would point forward to that Christmas story and would show that that story is indeed a fulfillment of all of those great stories. And of course, the most ancient story, the most ancient Christian story comes to us from Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, 
from verse 1. We're going to read together this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everybody say created. The story starts by describing a God who is a creator, a creative God, a creator God. This word is so powerful that the word created in the Bible is only ever used of God. It's never used of another figure. There's no one else in biblical terms that is ever said to create anything but God. It's a word reserved for who God is. He is the creator. He's the one that does this work called creation and creating. Now humans make stuff and they construct and they, 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 they procreate and they recreate and all sorts of stuff. But what they don't do is they don't take God's role, who is the great creator. He created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Everybody say formless. This is the pre-creation state, formless. Everybody say empty. Everybody say darkness. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Before God began his great work of creating He approached a formless, empty, dark, watery deep. At the start of this story, there is no life. There's not even light yet because God had to create that. It's one of his first things he does. There's nothing. Life cannot survive. Life cannot thrive. These are not life-giving conditions. These are conditions philosophically and in biblical scholarship terms known as chaos. Chaos. It's a formless, empty darkness. It's a watery, slimy mass. There is nothing living here. And so this story, although this is a narrative about the creation of the universe, what's important is this narrative reveals God to us as the one who, when faced with watery, formless, darkness, chaotic, shapeless, lifeless worlds, he is the God who comes and begins to do the work called Creation. Everybody say creation. The earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. But listen to this. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Everybody say spirit. Everybody say hovering. Hovering. Imagine hovering. How many people have seen a a bird hovering in the sky? A, 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 A mother bird hovering over a nest. A bird creating a nest and, and making it. And, and God's spirit is given this image here. What's important is not the image of the bird. What's important is the image of the hovering. That over this chaos, over this part, this, this darkness, this chaotic place where life cannot exist and light does not exist. Look at God's behavior. Look at God's response. Look at God's pattern. I'm going to send my spirit to hover over that. Oh, by the way, yes, we're reading theology. Yes, we're reading creation narrative. But do, do you know what we're really reading? We're reading biography. We're reading biography. We're reading a national biography. We're reading an individual biography. We're reading an ethnic biography. The people of Israel took this creation story many times and, and read it not just as quaint facts about where the universe came from, that they took this story many times and read it as a revelation of the God who, when faced with darkness and chaos, responds a certain way. And the way he responds is to send the hovering power of his spirit to change that chaos into something else. That's why this is the first gospel message that you'll ever see is in Genesis chapter 1. Hey, has your life ever felt formless? Have your life ever felt dark? 
ever felt shapeless? Has your life ever felt chaotic? Has your life ever felt like everything's against you? Have your life ever felt like, well, I don't know what's going on, but my life is just a place of darkness. It's shapeless. It's an empty void. My life doesn't feel like it's got any potential. My life doesn't feel like it's got anything going on. Ever been in one of those tight places? Maybe some of us in the room, that's where you've been this week. Maybe your life has felt chaotic itself. And Genesis 1 opens up preaching the gospel to us and reveals God, the creator God, as the one who says, when I am faced with chaos, I send my spirit to hover. I'm going to keep teaching through this passage, but you know, just for a second, why don't we pause and some of us in this place today just need to say, God, would you send your spirit to hover over my life right now? Come on, think of that situation. It might not be your whole life. It might be a pocket of your life or a corner of your life where there's been some darkness, where there's some chaos, where there's some anti-life activity. And why don't you just, for a moment, maybe with half of your brain listening to what I'm saying or sleeping or whatever you normally do when I'm talking, and, and, and the other half of your brain, just say, God, would you send your spirit to hover over the chaotic bits of my life as well? Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. Everybody say, God said. God said. Here is the crucial turning point in the narrative. God faced with the pre-creation chaos. He has an intention for there to be life. But at the start of the story, there is no life. Things are not the way God would intend for them to be. What God wants to happen hasn't happened yet. So what does God do? Instead of you know, having a board meeting in heaven and getting upset, what am I going to do about that chaos down there? Or, or pointing the finger of judgment. What does God do? God sends his spirit to hover. And then God speaks his word. The implication being that there's a great partnership in all works of God where God's spirit hovers and then God speaks his word and his spirit that is hovering takes the word that is spoken and begins to do something with it. Come on, don't some of us just need God's word to flow into our lives? Don't we need the fruit of God's word? Don't we need the life of God's word? Don't we need the hope of God's word? Don't we need the salt of God's word? Don't we need the revelation of God's word? Don't we need the community of God's word to be part of our lives and part of our hearts and part of our minds and our souls to change the chaotic dark bits that we might even turn up to church and we just pretend everything's fine, like maybe we don't even have it. We put on our Sunday best, put on our lipstick and perm our hair or whatever you do and and turn up thinking, I couldn't ever let anybody know what's going on here but God sees and his spirit hovers over those things let there be light and there was light such a great idea such a great way of revealing himself as God I see darkness I come I hover I speak my word and what's the first thing I do I speak my word and I turn on the lights in the darkness I illuminate. The psalmist said this, the entrance of your word brings light. And never a truer word was spoken. God hovering over the darkness. God faced with chaos. God speaks his word. And he invents something that had never existed before. Just imagine this, that light has never existed before. There's never been such a thing as light. And God will take something that doesn't exist and speak it into existence. I don't know about you, but maybe sometimes your life feels like it's just got darkness. Maybe it feels like there's no hope. Maybe it feels like there's no future in this area. Maybe you feel like other people talk about the call of God or purpose or destiny or or faith or breakthrough. Whatever it is, God's kingdom, God's rule and reign. But for you, it seems like a non-existent thing, like a hopeless thing. Like it's just an insane fantasy to ever believe that you could have a breakthrough in certain areas of your life. 
And Genesis 1 teaches us that God will come to the chaos and the darkness and the shapelessness of our lives and by the hovering power of his spirit speak a word that will bring something that was once a sheer impossibility, a non-existent fantasy, but because of God's word being spoken, something will take shape. I love to read the Hebrew Bible and in the Hebrew Bible it says, and God said, light be and light was doesn't translate grammatically correct into the English. God said, light be. And then all of a sudden, light was. There was no such thing as a photon before, but now photons came into existence. Come on, don't you need God to speak into your life? Don't you need God to speak into your family? Don't you need God to speak into your work, into your relationships, into your finances? Some of us, we need God to speak into our bodies. Some of us, we need God to speak into our souls that are just aching with a particular issue or a particular thing. And today, what we need to do before we part company this morning is stand together under God's word and say, Holy Spirit, hover over my life and speak your word into the darkness of my life. Who can say amen? And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. It's a powerful story. It's an amazing story. There's a rhythm in this story. The story will go on to tell you how over six consecutive days, God began to speak his word and created and brought all of creation into being. And on the seventh day, not only did God rest, but he invited the human couple, Adam and Eve, to enter into his rest, really a posture of ruling and reigning and enjoying just what God had done. Here's the rhythm. The rhythm goes all the way through the story. This is the rhythm. Chaos reigns. Everybody say chaos reigns. The next one is God sees. Everybody say God sees. The next one is the spirit hovers. Everybody say it. The next one is God speaks. Everybody say God speaks. The next one is light comes. The next one, order is formed. And here's the last one. Life prevails. This is the rhythm of the creation narrative that God, that chaos reigns, God sees, his spirit hovers, he speaks, light comes, order is formed, and life prevails. This is a pattern that will go all the way through the rest of the Bible and no less when it comes to the Christmas narratives. The Christmas narratives, the New Testament authors, the gospel writers, all wrote from a mind view and an imagination and a world that was saturated with Genesis chapter 1. They understood this rhythm. They understood darkness. They understood the need for God's spirit to hover. They understood the need for God to see. They understood the need for God to speak. They understood the need for order to be formed out of the chaos. And they understood the need for life to prevail. And this habit goes through almost every passage of the Bible. You can open up any page on Scripture and find this pattern reflected somewhere. God's activity starts at Genesis 1. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. This pattern is initiated. But when it comes to the Christmas story, when it comes to the coming of Jesus, when it comes to the birth of Christ and the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus to reign at God's right hand, this same pattern is reflected. Every Christmas we'll turn to parts of the New Testament and we'll read the stories and the accounts of the birth and the coming of Jesus. And it's amazing. Sometimes it just gives me goosebumps. Sometimes to dwell and reflect on the coming of God in human form just blows my mind. Think about this. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says this, in the beginning. And John, 
the author of the Gospel of John, he will write a whole Gospel about the life of Jesus and he will open it up in John chapter 1, verse 1, with those very same words, in the beginning. John thinks he's carrying on a Genesis story, which he is. John thinks he's carrying on a creation story, which he is, not the old creation story. This is a new creation story. And listen to what John says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. John writes a story that's a continuation of Genesis chapter 1 about a God who responds to a world filled with darkness and chaos. He looks at Jesus and he says, this is the start of something new. This is the start of such a new season of human history that all I could do is rewrite the story as if I'm rewriting Genesis chapter 1 again, because indeed God is bringing a new world to birth in Jesus. This is curious. It's an interesting way to think. Come with me to Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 4, you'll see this phrase, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. This is the account. This is the story. This is the written genealogy. You see this pattern all the way through the book of Genesis. You could go to Genesis chapter 5 verse 1 and it says, This is the written account of Adam's family line. Genesis chapter 6. This is the account of Noah. And his family, an account, a written account. The word language is very similar in all of these occurrences all the way through the book of Genesis. This book of beginnings, this book of God's creation, this book that chronicles God's unfolding of his great plan. This is the account. This is the written account. Well, if you turn to Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, Matthew, it's like, even though they didn't have iMacs back then or MacBook Pros back in the ancient world, it's like Matthew goes to Genesis 1. Genesis 5, Genesis 6, and he cut and pastes. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, he begins his gospel like this. This is the written account of Jesus, the Messiah. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. This is the written account. This is the book of the beginnings. And it's like Matthew, if you go back to the ancient language, has cut and pasted straight from the book of of Genesis. What's Matthew saying? Matthew's saying, I'm writing another chapter to Genesis. I'm continuing on this great story. I'm continuing on this pattern of the God who sees darkness and brings light through his word. The God who confronts chaos and brings it into order. In the beginning, in Mark chapter 1, if you turn to Mark's gospel, Mark begins very similar to John, the beginning of the good news about Jesus Messiah. And again, when Mark says that, whoever's doing the scriptures, you're doing a great job keeping up with us. Thank you. When Mark says it in the beginning, it's like he cut and pastes again from Genesis chapter 1 to write it into his gospel. What am I seeing when I'm seeing the Jesus story? What am I seeing when I'm seeing the, the, the birth of Christ? What are we encountering when we think about Christmas? We're encountering Genesis 2.0. We're encountering the creative action of God. We're encountering the pattern of Genesis brought to us in the skin of Jesus. Christmas is about new creation. It's about the celebration of something that God would do. I want you to think about this pattern again, then I'm going to summarize it quickly. Here's the flow from Genesis 1. Chaos reigns. God sees. The Spirit hovers. God speaks his word. Light comes. Order is formed. Life 
prevails. The Christmas story contains exactly the same formula and you see it peppered all the way through. The Christmas story begins in a time when chaos reigns, doesn't it? The Romans and their thug gangster dictator, King Herod, were ruling the ancient Near East with an iron fist. Slavery was rampant. People were going broke and selling their families into slavery hand over fist. They were paying taxes at the rate of 120% of their income. Can you believe that? How many people think our tax man's not so bad after all? Slavery, injustice. A plaything for the Romans, that's what Palestine was. A plaything for King Herod, who was a a, a pagan gangster, put into rulership by the Romans and then pretending to be a good Jewish boy. Once upon a time, one of the Roman emperors made a joke and said, I would rather be King Herod's son than his pig, based on the way he... I mean, I'd rather be King Herod's pig than his son, based on the way he treats his family. At At least the pig only gets eaten. King Herod was a murderer. He, you know, we see it in the creation stories. He goes and, and he murders babies and he goes and attacks people. He's trying to you know, con his way in with the three wise men. All sorts of crazy things. This is a time of chaos. Matthew places the Christmas narrative in a time of chaos. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the time of King Herod. Anyone alive in the day would have gone, ooh, the time of King Herod, a time of chaos, a time of war, a time of murder, a time of injustice, a time of great pain and grief and slavery and high taxation and loss, a time of corporate pain. It's that time. This is Matthew's way of saying chaos reigns, darkness is over the land. Luke dates it in Luke chapter 2 verse 1 says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to register all the empire for taxes, the NET says. Actually to conduct a census. And in the Roman world conducting a census meant let's do a stock take of all the treasure we have in the empire so we know how much we've got to steal. When Matthew dates it, when Luke dates it, under the time of Caesar Augustus, he says it's a time of chaos. It's a time of war. It's a time of injustice. And a baby is born in a manger in that time. Not not in the greatest times. Not born in a palace. Not born in a military division. Born in an animal feed trough in a manger. Surrounded by everything that's in an animal stable. Stinky animals, stinky shepherds, unwashed labourers, poop and flies. How many people see in the creation story such a powerful idea of the king of kings coming and making his home in a place not a sanitized version the bible doesn't teach us and jesus was born into a freshly painted nursery in a mansion smell of new carpet and new paint and ikea furniture freshly allen keyed together by a frustrated dad doesn't say that jesus comes amid amid the manure amid the stench amid the stink of the animal stable How many people find that good news that if the King of Kings can find his home amongst the stink and stench of the animal stable, then maybe he can find his home in my life as well. I'm greatly encouraged by the presence of Jesus in the manger because it says to me that the manger of my life can also be home to the King of Kings. How about you? He was born. Chaos reigned in those times. And we look at our own times and we think maybe sometimes, doesn't it feel like chaos reigns in our world as well? And the Christmas narrative reminds us that God comes and hovers where chaos is. Here's the next thing God sees. Everybody say God sees. In Galatians chapter 4 verse 4, Paul 
writes this amazing statement. He says, when the times had reached their fulfillment or when the appointed time has come, then God sent his son to be born of woman. Then God sent Jesus. Here's the thing. God sent Jesus at just the right time. I'm sure for hundreds of years, actually, if you read the literature, for hundreds of years, Jewish people had prayed, God, don't you see what's happening? God, don't you know what's going on? God, there's chaos here. We've got the Babylonians and the Akkadians and the Romans and all of these people enslaving us. God, don't you see? And Paul says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son. He, he saw everything. He, 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 he's moderating. He, he's managing the seasons of life. And at just the right time, God takes action. Isn't it true that sometimes our lives feel like chaos? Sometimes it feels like, God, do you see what's going on? God, do you know what's going on? I've got this happening at work and this in my private life and I'm feeling this way, God. It just feels like on every side. Last week, someone sat in my office and they said, I'm beset on every side with problems and I can't take it anymore. Do you know what they are? They're getting set for a Christmas story. Getting set for a Christmas story. When the time had fully come, God sent forth his son. God moves at the right time. God always sees. I don't know what you've been going through, but let me tell you, my friend, God always sees what you're going through. And he moves. Chaos reigns, but God sees. Here's the next one. The spirit hovers. (laughs) If you had time to read all of the stories about the life of Jesus, it starts with the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary and saying, "Uh, hey, 16-year-old young girl who's not married, you're going to have a baby. The first declaration of the Christ good news in the New Testament. (laughs) Um, and, And she says, quite, quite understandably, how could this be? I'm a virgin. And he says, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you. The spirit of the Lord will overshadow you. And you will conceive and bear a son and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. See what's happening in the story? In a time of darkness, in a time of chaos, the God who had seen, he chooses Mary and his spirit hovers over Mary's womb and conception happens. Conception happens. Such a great story. She goes and she sings an amazing song about it. The spirit hovers over Mary's womb. The rest of Jesus' life is peppered with occasions and occurrences of the spirit hovering. Jesus goes and he's baptized. And when he comes up out of the water, Mark's gospel says that the heavens were ripped open and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. See what happened? God's spirit hovered down on Jesus like a world, like a brand new world coming up out of the waters of chaos. That's what baptism is. It's a great picture. A new start, a new creation coming into being. Led by King Jesus. He comes up out of the water. God's spirit hovers down upon him. See what Mark's doing? Mark says, like God was making a new creation then, in the presence of Jesus, God is building a new creation now. And that's why the Christmas story is not just history. It's also biography. It's just revelation of the God and how he moves and who he is. And it's invitation. It's invitation. Can't your life be the life that the spirit would hover over? Can't your chaos be the the type of chaos that God would send Jesus into the midst of? Can't your type of chaos be the type of dark place where God would turn on the lights? The spirit hovers. The spirit hovers over Jesus in his ministry many times. 
The Spirit hovers over the disciples when Jesus breathes on them after the ascension and says, receive my Spirit. The Spirit hovers over the church at Pentecost when the Spirit comes down and creates the church to be a multiplied force, to be Jesus' hands and feet on planet Earth, giving them the same breath and power that Jesus had when he walks the Earth. That's who we are, family. You you don't seem excited about that. That's who we are. We're the family of God. We've got spirit hovering over us to enable us and empower us to be like Christ in this world and bring the very life that we ourselves receive from him. God's spirit hovers. God's spirit hovers. Here's the next one. God speaks his word. Summarized aptly by John in John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. Jesus himself the word when God sends Jesus to planet earth it's a fresh activity just like the God that spoke over the darkness and said light be he sent Jesus and Jesus as God's word walked around the highways and the byways of planet earth and every time he saw something dark he said light be and light was the darkness of rejection he touched lepers the darkness of blindness he opened blind eyes the darkness of death he raised the dead the darkness of aloneness he said go and sin no more the darkness of cripple he said let me raise you up the darkness of sin you are forgiven the darkness of illness your faith has made you well the darkness of the absence of God and he came and he said the kingdom of God is here it's among you everywhere like me and like was like be explosions of light following Jesus everywhere and that's why John said he, he came the word became flesh and in him was light and that light was the life of mankind The Spirit hovers, God speaks, light comes. Jesus summarized it well. I am the light of the world. The light that came down and the darkness cannot overcome it. Come on, some of us just got to sit in the presence of Jesus today and understand that I have the light of the world in me. And when I walk with the light of the world, I can then take my place as the light of the world to others. What Jesus said to his disciples, you're the light of the world. First of all, he said, I'm the light of the world. Then they walked with him and then he turned to them and he said, now you're the light of the world. I walk with the light. I walk in the light and then I can walk as the light as well. See, Christmas is a reminder that God is speaking to you, but he's speaking through you. That God has a message for you to take to the highways and to the byways and to workplaces and family gatherings and to reach out to people. And wherever you see darkness, don't point a judgmental figure. Remember the story that God comes and hovers over darkness and he sends his word and he sends his light. And if you're there, Christian, you are the light and the word that Jesus has sent into the situation. We hope you have been encouraged by this message. For more information, check out our website at desertlifechurch.org.